Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Hey, welcome into the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond Jr., and I am pleased to be joined today by Dr. J.J. Peterson. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Let me read you a little bit about uh, J.J. Since 2013, Dr. J.J. Peterson has used the StoryBrand framework to help thousands of organizations clarify their messages in order to grow their businesses. Uh, He holds a Ph.D. in communication and has spent the last 20 years practicing and teaching Communication theory. JJ has studied C.S. Lewis in Oxford, debated theology with filmmakers at the Sundance Film Festival, directed a documentary, served in marketing and PR for two multinational nonprofit organizations, served as a communication professor, and has spoken to thousands of people about creating a clear message. As a senior director of StoryBrand, JJ travels around the world facilitating StoryBrand workshops and keynotes helping people grow their businesses. So I managed to make it through all that fairly well. <laughs> a little nervous. You did. A little nervous with a communications expert here. Uh, <laughs> what else would you like our listeners to know about you? Wow. Um, you know, what was interesting to me about when you asked me to be on this podcast was an opportunity to combine kind of my background in faith, theology, and nonprofit work with marketing, yeah. which I don't often yeah. get to do. And so, you know, my my whole background, even, you know, what what you just read, there's pieces of that that's in there that deal with kind of nonprofit. And, but I really come from a background of Um, I'm an ordained pastor and I actually was in ministry and worked full time in, uh, in a church for a number of years, a mega church. And then I was a missionary in both Mexico and in Africa. And so, um, have kind of that whole background. And then when it says that I was a communication professor, I was a communication professor at two different Bible colleges, actually. So my background really comes in, and I was actually Dean of students at a Bible college. So, um, I was the person responsible for kicking kids out when they were getting drunk, you know, that kind of, (laughs) I was not very good at that job. (laughs) And yeah, so my background, you know, I get to talk about marketing a lot, which I love and I love story, but I also have this whole other side that, that kind of came up through, I essentially was a professional Christian for about 20 years in many ways before I moved into the marketing space. But what really drew me to both is story. I mean, that really like, you know, I, I did, uh, I actually toured and did improv comedy for a couple of years. And while I was touring around the country, I, we, we were a clean comedy group. We weren't like a Christian comedy group, but we were clean. So we weren't getting up there and going, give me a suggestion of uh, an, an animal in Noah's Ark. You know, we weren't doing that. We were, you know, but we were clean comedy. So we did a lot of churches and camps and I actually, 
saw a lot of people who are communicating very poorly. <laughs> and I initially went back to school to get my master's in theology, and I got it in theology and the arts because I wanted to teach the next generation of communicators how to tell better stories. So my uh, my master's thesis was actually an exegetic, a 30-minute sitcom that was an exegetical tool for the book of Ecclesiastes. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So that was my master's thesis. So I, so I got into it for that reason. I wanted to teach the next generation of communicators, specifically in the faith space, how to communicate better. And then ultimately kind of through that studied stories and film and television and theology. And ultimately that ended up leading me to meeting Donald Miller and ended up uh, becoming friends with him and ended up uh, coming out and just being a part of StoryBrand for my own stuff first, came first to learn and fell in love with it so much and thought everybody needs to hear this that then I ended up coming on staff and now that's my job. I get to teach people about story and how to communicate story and do it in a way because, you know, marketing often gets a bad rap, like because it feels like you got to be a little sleazy or salesy and especially in the nonprofit space, like, yeah. you know, yeah. like to tell a church you have to do marketing or to tell a nonprofit you have to do marketing. I, I lived those. So I know how gross that can feel, <laughs> you know, and yet when it's done well, when you tell a story well through your marketing and communication, it actually is not about trying to sell what you have to offer. It's about inviting your audience into a beautiful story that they get to transform by being a part of your organization. And that is, and you know, I say those words and that feels like, oh, I might be catering that to the church space or whatever, but that's not actually the case. If I'm selling, I, I just was working with Sealy, Sealy uh, Temper, Temper Sealy Postopedic, <laughs> that mattress yeah. band, right? And we were talking yesterday, as literally yesterday, talking with them about how do you participate in the transformation of your customer? How do you help them become a better version of themselves and overcome the struggles that they're experiencing? Well, if I can teach Tealy, uh, Temper Sealy to do that, and, yeah. th and that can actually be a part of who they are, then churches and nonprofits better be able to figure out how to do that too, because we're actually better at storytelling than anybody else in the world, I think. So, <laughs> so that's a, that's a lot, but that's a little bit, for, that's a little bit extra about me. <laughs> I love it. See, I'd say we have the best story. Uh, yes. So, I mean, I'm biased, but I'll say, yeah, I, I love that Agreed. you were a stand-up comic. I've often like <laughs> dreamed of doing, I don't think I'd be very good at it, but I think like <laughs> being a stand-up comic would be such excellent, like, preaching kind of communication because you're, yeah. just, you're just there and you've got to keep the audience engaged in so much of uh Sunday yeah. morning preaching is at least ideally to be engaging with the audience yeah yeah well mine was actually improv so i i actually think stand-up is even harder but i did improv comedy and oh, and yeah. and um and that i think also has it has a lot of, you know, I was a youth pastor before I did youth, before I did comedy. So there's a lot of similarity there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can you share where you, the Bible colleges you're associated with? Yeah, I was at um, Hope International University, which is in Fullerton, California. And then I was, yeah. um, and that's a non-denominational 
um, church, uh, non-denominational like Christian church school. And then I was with um, Life Pacific University, which is actually a four-square denominational school. Well, um, you've kind of shared about kind of your, do you want to share anything more about kind of your spiritual journey then? Yeah. Um, you know, my, my journey really started at a very young age cause my dad's a pastor and I have three siblings and all three of them are also ordained pastors. And so, you know, we, uh, I grew up in Kenya, even when I was little, my parents were missionaries in Kenya. And so within my dad, my, my mom and dad's generation and my generation. So within two generations, there's 13 ordained pastors. And I had said, I would never do that. (laughs) I would never, I never wanted to do it. I never wanted to be a part of it. Um, but over the years I just ended up, um, you know, loving, you know, growing in my faith, obviously, and loving the community of people that I got to be a part of and actually working to make the world a better place and help people live a better and more fulfilling, but also free life. And, um, did that for, you know, and so I ended up going into professional ministry and I did it in a number of different areas by being a missionary, by being a full-time pastor. I was a volunteer pastor for a little bit, um, Bible college professor. So I did it kind of in all different areas. And, um, you know, I don't know how much you want me to go in depth in depth, (laughs) but, um, ultimately, uh, uh, you know, my whole life I knew I was gay and, um, and had fought against it and basically figured that if I worked hard enough or met the right girl or did all the things that, that, that would change. And it got to a point where I realized it wouldn't. Um, and, um, and had to kind of figure out like, you know, is this, am I going to, step into, I ended, I actually ended up in the hospital with a heart attack, wow. um, from stress. And that was kind of a wake up call for me. Cause the doctor actually told me I was going to live and I was disappointed and wow. I didn't realize I was disappointed. And, but that moment kind of woke me up and said, yeah. all right, you need to figure this out. And I had, you know, in many ways I had what Paul talks about. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees and I, and he says that in the best way. I literally came from the best tribe, you know, like my family was all pastors. I came from the best teachers. You know, I did seminary. I was at Fuller. I have my PhD from a, a Christian school um, and all conservative places. I had never had sex. I never did drugs. You know, I did all of those things. I'd never even held a guy's hand. Mm -hmm. And I'd kind of lived that. I didn't even need Jesus, really, to be honest, in many ways. And like, you know, in that way of like, I tried to live my best life. And ultimately then was like, all right, I need to figure this out. And so I spent the first part of trying to figure, I left the school. I was dean of students at the school. I didn't want to come out there and be, it be a scandal. So I left and I did what I called a 40 day journey of feasting and fasting. And so I went to a monastery for a week in solitude and silence. And then on, I, I went on a wine tour in Napa. And then I went to a monastery again in solitude and silence. And then I went to Vegas and I kind of back and forth tried to seek God in both the, in the noise and in the silence and really genuinely decide, do I actually believe this anymore? I gave myself permission to just not believe at all. Yeah. And yeah. in the process 
decided, no, I do believe, and I do believe in God. And so what then needed to figure out what the next steps were, what that meant. And so it's really been since then trying to figure out what that looks like to walk out my faith and who I am as a person in a way that is not always perfect, but not working out of rebellion. You know, like even um, as I say, I'm, I'm open, I have a boyfriend and I have even told people like, hey, I might be wrong, but I'm not doing it out of rebellion. I literally, based on my seeking of scripture and counsel and, and prayer that this, I actually believe God loves me and, uh, and actually smiles on me and my relationship. Yeah. And, yeah. and I might be wrong about that. I'm not arrogant enough to think I'm absolutely right, but if I'm wrong, then for maybe the first time in my life, those, what I would consider almost bumper sticker verses, like his grace is sufficient for me and his mercies are new ever more every morning actually mean something to me. So while my entire life has been dedicated to service and faith, it really has only been in about the past seven years that I would say I've been able to fully engage in my faith with all of me and have grown clo- grown closer to God and had more opportunity for that faith to be in depth than it ever was when I was a full-time pastor or a Bible college professor. Wow. Well, thanks so much for sharing that. I really appreciate you sharing yeah. that with, with me and, and our <laughs> Again, listeners. I don't get I don't share that very often. So I was kind of like, do I share this? Okay, we're going there. We're gonna go there. Well, I appreciate <laughs> See where it. it goes. You can edit it all out. No, I it's know. Good. You know it's podcast, good. you can it's edit good. it all out. <laughs> it, what what has been kind of meaningful for you? Uh, some spiritual practices, disciplines, whatever word you want to use mm-hmm. in, in these last seven years has really kind of helped you in your faith journey to grow and develop. Um, you know, journaling, meditation, um, uh, retreat, rest, um, those have been really big for me because most of my faith was built on working it out. You know, like literally it was built on that, that works It's literally, I did, you know, I gave everything. I lived in the slums in Tijuana building homes for the poor. I gave everything. I was celibate. I, you know, my life, my relationship, everything, and was trying to build my faith on works. And so I worked very hard and was very exhausted. And I've really found in this new season, how spiritual rest can be. And, mm-hmm. um, and so a lot of that is med- And when I say meditation, I, I mean, actually for me, the powerful piece is the meditation of scripture. So mm-hmm. genuinely focusing on a word and then diving deep on that word and scripture, and then figuring out what that word, those scriptures mean for me and meditating on them. Um, that's been a huge, huge piece. Um, and then, and like I said, in rest, retreat, um, those kind of things have really been probably the most powerful piece, uh, uh, in the past few years. Yeah. Boy, I'm going to have to have you have, have you on again to talk about <laughs> pastors and overwork. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I'm. I was the poster child for that for sure. Well, let's talk about what I do have you on here for, which I'm excited <laughs> to talk about. <laughs> yeah, let's actually get into the real thing here. This is a little bit about me, um, but yes. So, uh, as he mentioned, JJ is with the Story Brand. Uh, what's the? Is that the? Is that the title? Story Brand. Uh, yep. Story name, Brand. It's same the company. Story Brand Company. And I really uh, enjoyed, I was introduced to the concept, the framework, I guess is the word, uh, probably mm-hmm. a year or two ago, and really have appreciated 
its helpfulness in communication to the point, JJ, that I actually started framing my Sunday morning messages kind of around the, su- mm-hmm. the story brand framework. I would kind of simplify it a little bit. So I'd kind of yeah. do like problem, uh, plan, call to action, then stakes. Yep. Uh, but I kind of yep. do that basic framework. But I, I thought it'd be helpful to talk about marketing for churches. And it can, as yeah. we're just, we're just talking about such a kind of icky word in so many contexts. And JJ has some, you heard it. He has some great experience in nonprofit work and obviously with marketing. Um, so why don't, for our listeners, why don't you just start out just by talking about um, kind of the basic kinds and categories of nonprofits and then what marketing for each kind should look like. Yeah. So, and I learned some of this from with working with Food for the Hungry, actually. And they really would identify that there are four different types of nonprofit work. And I would include churches in this as well, almost in many ways, four types of things that churches can be involved in. And the four things really are relief, development, empowerment, and justice. Those are the four things that we – relief, development, empowerment, and justice. And to kind of break it down into an analogy, it is that uh, relief is give a man a fish, right? So like even for our church, if somebody's starving or needs medicine or needs literally like money to get their arm fixed at a hospital because it's broken, you don't go, let me teach you about how to get a job to get money. You know, you don't, you just literally go, Hey, in this moment, I'm going to give relief. So, and that is a viable and, and that is a viable component of nonprofit work is relief. Now you can't always do relief because that will leave people in kind of a, not a great state. So then we really move to development. Development is, um, teach a man to fish, right? So relief is give a man a fish, Development is teach a man to fish. And that's just the idea of basically creating programs that give people a leg up, right? So it's kind of more moving the relief into more of a like development piece of where you actually are helping change the community and doing some things that really are sustainable longer than an instant relief thing. Then empowerment is to teach a man to think about fishing. So it's not just like, hey, here's how to set up a business, but let's think about what type of business you can set up. Let's actually go a little bit deeper where you own it and create the resources and the change yourself. So relief, development, empowerment, and then there is justice, which is tearing down the fence around the pond, right? That we recognize that people don't have equal access to the pond. And so there's some things that nonprofits and churches have to do to fight, to make, bring about not just equality, but equity. And so those are really the first, the four levels that I would articulate are, those are the ways we get involved and churches do all four and some nonprofits focus in one or another. Now, when it comes to marketing, there's, you know, overall, there, what we do at StoryBrand is we teach people to tell a story. And the story really is all about the people that you are serving or the audience. So if you're a church, it's your congregation. If it's, um, if you're a nonprofit, it's both the donors, you're serving the donors, and you're also serving the people that are, get 
are the recipients of the donor's money. And we would say that most companies and most nonprofits struggle because they are trying to figure out how to make themselves the hero of the story. We're a great church. We're doing all these things we're doing. And that feels gross to us. That doesn't feel natural, right? Like, but we feel like, oh, I have to do this because that's what marketing is. Marketing is about telling my story. I would argue marketing is not about telling your story. Marketing is about telling your customer story or those that you serve. And I'll interchange customer. And when I say customer, I really do mean your the the attendees. And I mean, if you're a nonprofit, the people you serve and your donors. All of those are customers. Your volunteers, those are customers for you that you get to serve. So when you're speaking to them in a marketing manner, you are you need to tell a story you need to really tell a story that invites them into a beautiful story that they get to participate in the change yeah. and so what that means is you need to position them as the hero and you as the guide so you are obi-wan kenobi and they are luke skywalker you know you are haymitch and they are katniss and you have to identify you know you mentioned some of the elements of story but there are really seven elements of story that are in every good story and those are you have to understand what the hero wants what the main character wants that's number one that main character wants something, but then there's something that gets in the way of that. There's a problem they experience. That's a second. So they meet, they need a guide to help them out. The guide gives them a plan. That plan results in a moment where they must be called to action. And then there's stakes in the story, meaning that the story can go great and have a happy ending, or it can be tragic and it can have a sad ending. So those are the seven elements. A character who has a problem, who meets a guide, who gives them a plan, who calls them to action, and it results in success and failure. And so that's every movie, that's every story you've ever heard that is a powerful story. Yeah. Now yeah. – Depending on the type of work that you're in or where you're at or what your marketing is, you might need to emphasize different pieces of the seven elements. So for instance, if you're trying to engage donors in a relief project, you actually need to talk a lot about failure and problem. Hmm. The reality is, and whether we like this or not, this research shows that sh- showing pictures of sad, starving children will make more money in the short term than happy children. It will. <laughs> and again, that feels a little gross to say, but that's the reality. But that's because if there is, if there are starving children, we need to find relief quickly. So relief is meant to be a temporary thing. It's not meant to be an ongoing. So if you are doing relief projects, it is actually okay to talk about the tragedy, talk about the problem, and primarily talk about those two things. That's it. You can talk about how we can save lives, but literally you have to emphasize so much that this is a huge problem and people are dying. Right. And that, so when you're in the relief space, you can talk about those two sections. Now, because if you stay in the relief space, but you actually don't live in it anymore. So let's say there is a, a famine in Ethiopia and children then are no longer the fam, fam, the, the, it's over, 
and, and the famine's over and you try to continue to use starving children to raise money, people won't engage. They will, they will become fatigued. So relief has to be a short-term solution and you can go pretty heavy with it. When you move into development, you have to let go of some of that failure and problem. You can tap the problem in language. So you talk about the problem, but then you really actually need to live in the success category and show happy, smiling children. Ongoing development, you want to show a lot of success, that this program is making a difference long term. Mm. So you want to live in the happy, smiley. And same with empowerment. When you're actually building programs, you need a lot of success stories, a lot of testimonies of overcoming, a lot of like happy, smiley people. (laughs) When you're in justice, then actually the marketing has to go back and forth between the two because sometimes justice is, is an emergency, right? When, yeah. when we're dealing with a space of like Black Lives Matter and we need to make a difference this moment, we actually can speak about the atrocities and the problem. However, that has to be a short-term part of the story and then we need to move into something of where it's making a difference and going on. Otherwise, the donor, the participants, everybody will disengage. So what here's, so I know that, that, and that's a very high level. There's nuance to it, of course, but let me, let me talk about the mistake, say not necessarily a lot of progressive churches, but let's say the, the mistake a lot of more conservative fundamentalist churches do is they turn something like salvation Mm -hmm into an emergency relief situation. And so what happens is they start marketing or preaching about it, telling the story about it. And it's like, if you don't get baptized today, you're going to go to hell, everything, da, da, da. And that works at a conference or a short-term kind of perspective. But if I'm coming back to that church every week for a year and I hear that Jesus is coming tomorrow, if you don't, that gets old and I will leave. Because they're they're turning a long-term development or long-term empowerment kind of situation into a short-term relief and they're trying to only live in the failure and the problem section of your communication. So that's why a lot of people are being turned off by the church these days is because the quote unquote marketing is being done in a way of trying to basically say this is an emergency and we need to do it now. Well, if Jesus doesn't come back in the next six weeks and you've been pushing that, that it has to happen or we're all going to die and everything's horrible, then I'm out. I'm out. Now that could work. It can work as an altar call one time. That's why it works great at like a conference or at a camp or something like that because you don't have to keep that message going for six months. You only have to do it for an hour. For an hour, you can make the stakes really high and talk about the failure really high and everything. But for six months, you can't do it. People will be turned off and they won't engage. So that's one example in that kind of, you know – area of communicating but specifically let's talk about just like the relief stuff it's same kind of thing if you're trying to get people involved in let's say your church and you're trying to get people involved in working in the children's department for easter Mm -hmm. we have a limited time space that there where there is a limited time quote-unquote offer that something has to be done now or kids are going to get turned away 
you can use that type of language in announcements. Hey, everybody, you need to be aware if we double in size, if our children's department doubles in size by Easter, we're going to have to turn kids away unless we have volunteers. You can actually use that kind of like, and that is what I would say is failure language and problem language. However, if you need ongoing volunteers for the whole year, you can't say that message every week for six months or people won't believe you. They actually won't believe that you need help. <laughs> so you have to show yeah. success of here's a volunteer whose life was changed after working with a child. Yeah. Make them the hero of the story, not yeah. the not the children's ministry yeah. program. Yeah. Or here's a kid that's been able to participate because of a volunteer, right? Exactly. And this is how their life was changed. And this family's life was changed. It started with this kid, then the parents came, then the grandparents came, you know, and now you can tell a success story where the kid is the hero or the volunteer is the hero. But don't be sitting there, you know, our children's program isn't like any other program. We're the best pro. No. Every program's like yours and probably better. You know, <laughs> you know, don't don't make yourself the hero. Make the people you're serving the hero. Invite them and understand what they're looking for. Understand if we go back to the model of story brand, understand what they want. What do they want? Speak it to them. We know you want to be engaged in this community. Like literally say those words. We know when you come here, you want to be engaged and meet more people. The problem is. And let's identify the problem, right? The problem is that you come and you sit in the pews, but you're not able to actually connect with people, which makes you feel lost and a little bit alone. We get it. I used to be, now we move into the guide section. I get it. I used to be that same person. I came and just sat here and didn't meet anybody for a very long time, but I got involved in a small group and it changed my life. That's the guide. Here's the plan. So here's how you sign up to be in a small group. First, go see somebody in the back and sign up. Second, we're going to just send you a couple different options that are near your house. And third, you get to pick which one you want to go to and make sure you have, it's a good fit. It's that easy. Yeah. So that's the plan. And then call to action would be, so all you need to do is go in the back and sign up at the end of the service. And now we give some stakes, success and failure. And you're going to stop feeling like you're alone in the pews. And instead you're actually going to connect with people and not only change your life, but you're going to be a part of changing others as well. I mean, I want to sign up right now for a small group. (laughs) (laughs) So I know I just threw a ton at you with all of that, but that's what I do is I help people, one, understand what type of work that you're in, identify. So let's say, say for everybody who's listening right now, you may work in all four areas, but when you're getting ready to communicate, you need to identify, are you working in relief, development, empowerment, or justice? In this moment, whatever, whatever communication campaign, whatever sermon, whatever you're getting ready to do, are you working in one of those four areas? Then when you're working in one of those four areas, you need to identify what is it that the person you're serving wants? What is the problem that stops, getting, stops them from getting what they want? How do you position yourself as a guide, somebody who understands their pain and has already been through it? What's the plan you're going to give them? What's the call to action that makes them move forward? And how do you cast a vision for success and failure? So write that whole thing out. And then depending on whether you're in relief, development, empowerment, or justice, you need to emphasize different pieces of that story a little bit more. 
in re- in relief, you emphasize the problem a little bit more and you emphasize the failure. In development and empowerment, you emphasize success, you emphasize the plan, you emphasize you're the, you're the guide that empathizes with them. And then in the justice space, you go back and forth between those two. Wow. That's really good. That's really good. And I think one of the things that I really appreciate about kind of this framework is like, I mean, what feels, I don't feel anything icky about that. Like, I think like there's, there's a person like in my church, let's say to stay with that example, there's a person in my church who Mm -hmm. has a problem. My job as a pastor, my job as a church leader is to meet their needs. That's at least what I believe that we've been called to do. And I'm seeking to meet that need and communicate the good news in a way that resonates with them. Yeah. Give them and give them the tools that help them meet their needs, right? Like we obviously can't meet all of their needs, but we have to identify what is our plan. If somebody is alone or somebody is struggling with an addiction or somebody is just struggling with faith in general, is there a God? We want to identify that, that there's some kind of longing that they have that that need is getting in the way of. And how do we position our church and our programs as a plan to help people overcome that? The the whole story, any good story is about transformation, right? If Mm -hmm. any good story, the the hero is one type of person, or I would even argue one person at the beginning, and they're a different person at the end. Yeah. Luke yeah. Skywalker is a essentially an orphan farm boy on a desert mm-hmm. planet in the beginning, and by the end, he's a Jedi. You know, he literally becomes something else. Katniss is just this teenage girl. By the end, she's the mocking Jay. She becomes somebody different. In marketing, we 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 talk about like if you're selling mattresses, before they work with you, they're tired. After they work with you, they're rested, right? Mm-hmm. And so there you and you have to as a brand or as a organization, Mm -hmm. your goal is to participate in that transformation along the way to help facilitate it. And so identifying when people walk into your church, how would you most describe them? Not, I mean, everybody has different needs, but what are they really longing for? And what is our plan to serve them to overcome the problems they're experiencing that are getting in the way of that and the plan to move them to where they become somebody new. Yeah. Now, yeah. for most of us, it literally is Jesus, right? Jesus is the plan <laughs> that helps in that transformation. So how do we help them understand that, to understand Jesus through community, understand Jesus through sacrifice and service, right? How, understand Jesus yeah. through commitment, understand Jesus through study. And when we understand and and relate with Jesus, then we become transformed through that process as well. And a church or nonprofit that can articulate that that transformation and can call people into that transformation and participate in it are going to not only help the people in the congregation win, but they're going to win in the process as well. And I don't think, again, so many times we want to shy away from that kind of language of like winning and losing Mm -hmm. or things like that. But that I actually think if more churches thought of themselves as a brand, and again, I know how weird that feels, as a brand that participates in the transformation of their customers, that they would be better off. Because the reality is 
when you position yourself as the hero in the story, you actually are positioning yourself as very weak. A hero, a hero in the story is weak, right? They're unsure. They're insecure. They're like, they're up and down, right? Like think about just, let's go with some biblical heroes, right? Let's go with, with David, right? Think about it in reality. David is this hero, but he's up and down. I mean, he's got Bathsheba in there. He's got some, his sons are messed up. You know, you're going up and down his, you know, he's got all these different things in there that are up and down. His brothers hate him. You know, there's all of these things that are up and down for the hero. It's not until the end of his life that really he's able to look back and we go, Oh, he is this hero. Well, when you position yourself as a hero, you position yourself as weak. And so Mm. what that means is then you have to like, essentially beg people to be a part of things, <laughs> beg people yeah. to donate, beg people to yeah. volunteer because you're insecure. And every time you try to make yourself the hero, you become insecure and weak. When you position yourself as the guide, you are the strongest character in the story. And your, your entire existence is not about serving you. It's about serving the hero, right? Gandalf only exists in the story to serve Frodo. That's it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't exist for himself. Obi-Wan Kenobi, um, you know, Yoda, the only reason they exist in the story is to serve Luke. That's it. So when we, unfortunately, what we do is we think as marketers and branders, we have to make ourselves look good and build it up. No, you don't. You have to make your customer, you have to make your heroes, you have to make your audience look good. And when you do that and position yourself as the guide, you actually are the strongest character in the story and you serve. Your entire existence is to serve the transformation of the hero. And if you can step into that role with strength, then again, they will win, but so will you. I love it. I love it. Uh, I was watching, what is it? The Last Avengers, whatever it's called. Endgame, is it? Uh-huh. Last night with my uh-huh. wife. And you, you're talking about character transformation. It makes me think of Tony Stark. I mean, think about yes. the guy's this playboy, selfish dude at the beginning of iron man and this last movie he he sacrifices himself for the greater good and uh, is nick fury then the guide in that kind of the the universe yes nick fury is the guide when you have an ensemble cast where there really is a group protagonist then different people can serve as guides at different points right so the you know and especially you're telling this very long story over like 12 movies it's it's a little bit more complicated but there's times when black widow serves as the guide for the hulk yeah right? and tony star for you know, spider-man yep exactly so different characters can play depending on which through line or which story is being told in that moment if we're focusing on spider-man as the hero then tony stark becomes the guide if we're focusing on tony becoming the hero then it can be captain america or it can be nick fury or you know it kind of becomes it can change up a little and even in movies you can have multiple guides if there's a road trip then typically the lead the the hero of the story encounters maybe five or six guides along the way if somebody else is not traveling with them so mm-hmm. so it can kind of change but there's always you you have to think of the hero is always the person in the film there's two kind of characteristics one they have empathy and two they have authority so empathy mm-hmm. means that they understand what the character has gone through and authority they've overcome that 
So they've moved forward or found a way to move forward. And you always want to, as a guide, express empathy and authority. Now, in the church world, authority is a little bit tricky because we don't want to say, like, I've got my ish together, right? We don't want to just go, like, we never say, I figured it out. So if you follow me, you could figure it out. No. But you can play the authority as someone who is seeking to figure it out. So I have found the way to seek or I have found the way to draw closer to Jesus in the midst of ups and downs, right? So you can be vulnerable. You're essentially leading them in vulnerability, not Mm -hmm. leading them in having it perfect. You're leading them in vulnerability. So we're calling on you to be vulnerable. Therefore, I know how to be vulnerable. I'm calling on you to seek Jesus. I'm leading you in how to seek Jesus. I'm not leading you in perfection, but I'm leading you in the seeking and the vulnerability. So you're always looking to express empathy and authority. So in a movie, the the guide is somebody who expresses empathy and authority. So they've been down the road before the hero. And then the other thing is the guide doesn't change. Watch the movie for the person that doesn't change. That's the biggest one. So in Hunger Games, Hamish is a drunk at the beginning and he's a drunk at the end. You don't have to be a perfect guide. (laughs) You just have to be helping the hero win their journey. So Mm -hmm. if she was trying to fall in love, if Katniss was going to fall in love or open a bakery, Hamish doesn't matter in the story. He only matters because she's trying to win the Hunger Games, which he has done. So he knows what that feels like. And he won. So he's got it figured out, right? So that's why he matters. But he doesn't need to be a perfect person. He just needs to be good in that area. So the guide doesn't change. Um, In The Greatest Showman, um, the wife is the guide. The wife at the beginning says – I don't care where we live. I don't care if I live in a mansion or which. And at the end, she goes, I don't care about your fame and I don't care about your riches, right? She's the one who stays consistent through the whole time. And she's like that anchor point that he gets called back to along the way as he's up and down. You know, the hero is up and down in the story. But at the beginning, she's the same. And at the end, she's the same. She's sit. And so she is the guide. So anytime you're watching a movie and you go, who's the guide? Look for those things, the person who doesn't change and the person that expresses empathy and authority to the customer's journey. Yeah, that's so interesting. I, I want to ask one more question, and I appreciate your time here. So I'll, I'll cut. We'll take a break after this. Um, t- you mentioned kind of like what conservative churches tend to do wrong. Talk, yeah. talk about it from the other side of the spectrum. Churches on the, on yeah. the left leaning. What do you think? Yeah. So when it comes to clear messaging, I said, you know, what you need to do is create, understand the story of what does the cust- what does the character or customer want and what is the problem that gets in the way. This is my own diagnosis. Okay. Are you ready? Because I think this is part of like the whole, some of the struggle with the left in general is that the left in general, actually there's different priorities along the way. So some people are about inclusion and equality on, on homosexuality. Yeah. And so they, they can form a church just around that. And then there's other people on the left who are all about the environment 
And then there's other people on the left who are all about female empowerment. And then there's other people on the left who are about race relations. And every one of those things is incredibly powerful in and of itself. And most people who are very passionate about those things think that should be the number one goal of what we're trying to accomplish. It, it, it lives yeah. a lot in that justice space, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's very hard to build a church around one of those things mm. while being inclusive of everybody else. Yeah. So yeah. if you're really all about, and I'll just use myself as an example, if I'm looking at a church and all they talk about all the time is being open and accepting and about equal rights, I, that's not actually fully what I'm looking for in a church, right? I'm, you know, and so, so they only build that. Well, then if somebody comes in and is like, but what about women? But what about minorities? And they go, well, yes, that's important too, but this is, a, you're essentially become exclusive, you become excluding to all these other people. Right. And so a lot of left-leaning churches build that I have found, build their messaging around issues and justice exclusively or what feels like they wouldn't say that many of them, but it comes across in their messaging. This is what, where they're at. Yeah. 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 And I think that's a mistake because I think it becomes exclusive of the other pieces. And again, you're only then living in one piece of the story and that story can get old. If you're for a person who's coming and listening to it all the time, because it's like it's like the relief in a way, then. Yeah, yep, yeah. So you're they're like only living in relief or justice, and there's no actual development and empowerment for everybody else. And I really get this from you know Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer, um, you know, wrote about the idea of in life together. He wrote about this idea of a wish dream. Right. So he had he would argue that and this is back in World War Two, you know, beginning of World War Two. He's talking about how too many churches are suffering because they elevate community as the highest value for this group. So I say, what do you want? I want community. Well, community is actually a wish dream because we all have different ideas of what that means. Right. So me as an I'm actually an introvert. What community means for me is you leave me alone most of the time, and then we have small little gatherings, right? That's what community means for me. For an extrovert, community can mean that we're we're together all the time, right? And so if we elevate community as our highest value, as in this group of people, then we're actually never going to achieve it because we all have a different idea. And if you and I break community, we have nothing else to bond over, so it's gone. Hmm. And I think that happens a lot with the left. So we become the justice organization, and which is wonderful. That's the thing. This is not me bashing on that. It becomes a, it's a wonderful thing. And I think something that has been missing in the church for a very, very long time in many ways. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. so, but then what happens is what I think racial reconciliation should look like and what I think um, you know, openness and acceptance looks like is probably different than other people. And that leaves us at an impasse because essentially we can never achieve the goal because it's never achievable. Yeah. And yeah. Bonhoeffer would say that we actually in a church context need to elevate Jesus as the highest priority. 
And if Jesus is the highest priority and we're all genuinely seeking Jesus, then we will get community. It will be a byproduct and we still won't fully be able to name what it is, but we will get community. We will get relationship. We will get the spirit. We will get all of this stuff if we shoot for Jesus as the highest value. But if we make something else higher value than Jesus, then ultimately um, it doesn't work. And I understand even saying that for many left-leaning and very progressive churches that some people would be like, well, we don't actually want the historical person of Jesus to be the focal point. And, yeah, yeah. and I understand that. I actually am a, I belong to a church. I go to a church, but I also belong to kind of just a non-spiritual organization. It's called Imaginarium. And we just genuinely are working to make the world a better place. That's kind of it. It's a yeah. nonprofit. It's not a church. But that has been one of our problems <laughs> is that, you know, different people come in and have different priorities. We actually don't have Jesus to rally around in this nonprofit. And if we want to impact everything, if we were just a marriage equality or just a feminism or a female equality or racist fighting against racism, yeah. Yeah. Then, then we have something that we can all kind of be around, but we all have different things. We just want to make the world a better place. Well, we don't have that, and we're trying to be spiritual in it because we're all spiritual beings, but right. it's it doesn't work as well. It's very hard to grow. It's very hard to message. It's very hard to articulate because it's a wish dream. It's not something that we can actually wrap our minds around. So there are a lot of progressive churches that are doing this well. And I don't just mean about the Jesus part. I, you know, I've been to a number of churches that I actually really value and um, love to be a part of and are doing great things. But I do think when, when churches that are more left-leaning solely focus in the justice area, they actually miss out because justice is a quote-unquote wish dream. It's not something that we all understand exactly what it is, and we all have idea, different ideas of what it is. And so therefore, it's hard to rally around and message and create a plan for unless we isolate it down to a small piece of the justice pie, and then we exclude mm -hmm. others in the process. Wow, the last five minutes have been so incredible. I mean, I'm just <laughs> I'm so impressed just by the breadth of this this uh, this time. So I mean, <laughs> If you want, I found uh, for our listeners, I found uh, JJ's dissertation online. So maybe I'll, if I remember where I found, it, I'll put a link to it because you drop in there Kierkegaard, C.S. Lewis. You know, there's probably I don't know if you put Bonhoeffer. I didn't see that name in there, but uh, I don't think he was there. But <laughs> good stuff. So, so if I'm hearing you right, just to kind of put a sum on that. If I'm hearing you right, you're just saying like, if Jesus is the highest priority, that other stuff's going to take care of itself. Is that fair? Yeah. Yep. And what I mean by that too is not just that. I mean, I would argue without theologically, but I'm even from a just a messaging perspective, right? Mm -hmm. So when we identify in a messaging, in a marketing message, the first thing you have to identify is what is it that the character wants? What is it the hero wants in the story? Well, at a church, if it's centered around one justice issue, mm -hmm. then we have to say it's around that one justice issue and we attract those people only. Yeah, yeah. If yeah. we try to make it about justice in general, then that's actually too vague 
in order yeah. to attract the right quote unquote customer. If we get back to kind of using the language of Jesus and discipleship, then we actually are still pointed in our messaging, but it becomes more inclusive of everybody. Somebody who is seeking justice in all of these different areas can find a home within that message. And would it be fair, uh, forgive me for, for where well, I know we're running long here, so thanks for your time. No I appreciate it. Let me ask this, ask you as a theologian here, uh, so I like I would say as a pastor, like I would say like the gospel is inclusion, it's anti-racism, it's all those things. So would, yeah. it, would it be fair then to say like if I'm putting Jesus as highest priority, part of discipleship or falling away of Jesus is those things? Yes. Okay. Yes, 100%. And that's why when you focus on that more umbrella message of Jesus mm -hmm. and the gospel, now that I think that's what Bonhoeffer was saying, right? If we focus on Jesus and the gospel as the umbrella, then everything else fits underneath. But if you position yourself as a church that's all about community— or a church that's all about justice. We all have a completely different idea of what that means. And if those, if that become, if communities are highest value, I'm going to break your heart. If justice is of highest value, I'm also going to break your heart because we don't see the same things of yeah. those things. Now people can argue we don't see the same things in Jesus, but I, I think there that's a bigger umbrella. The gospel and Jesus is a bigger umbrella that everything else can fit under. But if we try to message around those smaller things, then we miss everything else. And I think we miss Jesus in the process as well. Wow. What a great, these last 10 minutes have been incredible for me alone. I hope there've been some, <laughs> some benefit to our listeners. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back with some closing questions. All right, we're okay. back with uh, Dr. J.J. Peterson. Such a great conversation. I really appreciate your time. And uh, I know it's been a great learning opportunity for me at, at, at minimum. So I hope it's a benefit for, for y'all listening. All right, closing questions. You can take them as seriously or not as you'd like to. If you're Pope for a day, <laughs> what does that yeah. day look like? What do you want to do? That kind of thing. If I'm Pope for a day? Um, mm -hmm. Wow. I would, um, I would want to play. I think that just like bring back some play. And I think that this Pope that is there now has done a little bit of that. Uh -huh. Like uh -huh. just bring back some whimsy. You know, I think we've lost, we take things a little bit too seriously and, you know, joy is a bigger piece of our faith than we, you know, than we allow it to be. So just bring back some whimsy and fun and just make people laugh. Love it. A theologian or historical Christian figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life. Oh wow, C.S. Lewis, hundred percent. He is my. I got. Um, I got to study him. Actually, I'm not sure we would even get along or be friends. I think he was kind of a jerk, but <laughs> but I still would just love to like sit at his feet a little bit and listen to listen to him talk and, and watch the way he thinks. Love it. What do you think history will remember from our current time and place? Um, I think what people will remember is that this is what I hope they remember is that even though we weren't trying, we weren't doing things perfectly that we were actually trying to be, to continue to make the world a better place that, you know, everything that, you know, we've had the past couple of years, we've had the me too movement. We've had black lives matter. We've had some issues even surrounding, you know, like access to healthcare for trans individuals. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, 
those what's those are very hard conversations and very hard things, but they're conversations that weren't even happening 20 years ago. Good. And the fact good. that they're happening now and they're happening imperfectly, admittedly, mm-hmm. means that we still have a long way to go, but they're happening. And that this generation had the courage to have the conversations in a way that tried to move things forward, even if it was stumbling and sloppy. Oh, what a great answer there. Uh, what do you hope for the future of Christianity? Oh, wow. Um, man, I think I I would hope for a more gentle face. <laughs> I, I think a lot of what has, you know, we've become this very divided f- face um, in America from Christianity, I think in a lot of ways. And And most of what the public sees is not a gentle face. Um, You know, it's not a kind face. And I would hope that, and and because I think with hyper-masculinity that gentleness and kindness is viewed as weakness. (laughs) And that's not the case. I think it's actually incredibly, you have to be incredibly strong to be kind and gentle because it means that your ego has moved out of the way. And so I think the church can be more strong if we actually stepped into kindness and gentleness in a way that brought about faithfulness in a way we've never Mm -hmm. seen it before. So I think we're on the great path of justice. I think we're on a great path of working towards fixing some things that have been wrong for centuries, but Mm -hmm. I, even in the midst of those things, I would hope for a more gentle and more kind face to it all. Well, uh, so good. I was thinking of the book. I don't know if you've heard of this. Jesus and John Wayne, I think is the title. Yes. Uh, yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. I forget the yeah. Kristen something, I think is out. Demaze, Demaz. I don't remember. Um, I may be butchering that. Well, let's yeah. <laughs> let's uh, give you some time here. Uh, talk about uh, your podcast, which aired what released yesterday as we're recording this yesterday where else they can find about story brand and and your work. Yeah. So we just released a podcast called marketing made simple that really goes through all of what we talked about today and much more in depth. So we're starting out, we literally just launched yesterday. So the first eight weeks are going through everything I just talked about, about story in a much more in depth kind of way. Then our next series is going to be about how to create a sales funnel emails. And then the series after that, we actually will have a nonprofit focused episode of like how to do this specifically for nonprofits. So that's just marketing made simple. And you can find that on Apple and Spotify. Um, And then for people who are interested in maybe, you know, there are some people who are saying, I would love to up my marketing game a little bit here. Mm -hmm. And um, you can actually go to five minute marketing makeover.com. So five minute marketing makeover.com. There are three and you can spell the word five or put the number five. And there are just some videos that give you some tips on how to clarify your message, specifically your website, some stuff you can do to your website to start fixing that. I'll give one tip for churches right now. The number one thing people are looking for when they go to a church website is what I'm supposed to wear. That actually is, yeah, they're not even there to see what times. They want to know what to wear. So don't say what to wear, but show pictures of what people wear so they know what to show up in. That actually, the the survey of people who go to church websites is the number one reason they want, thing that keeps them from going to church and they want to know when they go to a website is what should I wear? So show pictures of people. That's just a little tip for marketing makeover. But yeah, five minute marketing makeover.com. We have three free videos that you can check out kind of up your marketing game in that as well. 
what a great, interesting little tidbit there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> JJ, this has been such a fun conversation. I really appreciate your time and perspectives. And I've uh, loved it. I know I'm going to be like out working all day tomorrow on my pergola, listening to marketing made simple. So <laughs> <laughs> do it. Do Thanks it. for your time. And uh, may God's peace be with you. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is produced by Torn Curtain Arts in partnership with Resonate Media. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit futurechristian.com. If you've enjoyed the show and you think it would be valuable for others to hear, subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. That really helps more people find us. Thanks again and go in peace.